put on my heart, and I may go in a different direction because I woke up this morning so excited about something, and it's not just excitement. I felt God speaking to me that there's something He wants to say to you and to me, to all of us in this day and hour. So let's pray. Father, help us to take a deep breath right now and to just lean back and to rest in You. Father, in our, in our experience, there's never been a time like this. In, in our history that we know of, there's never really been a time like this where something has hit the entire world at such a time, except for perhaps way back in the flood. And the comfort we have is in the flood, you made provision for your people to carry them through. And so whatever this is right now, wherever this has come from, we know it's Satan's hands. You have made provision to bring your people through. And so, Father, we pray today right now. First of all, we pray for our leaders, Lord. They are people that are trying to help. They're sincere, they're real, and we pray for them, Father. None of us would want to be in their position right now. None of us would want to have the pressure that's on them right now for the lives that their decisions are affecting. And so we do what your word has called us to do. We pray for our president and vice president and those that are advising and counseling them. For our governors, especially Governor Armando and Governor Baker, Lord, that are guiding this area. We pray for your wisdom, Lord, and those that counsel them, the medical people that are giving them advice. Strengthen them, Father, so that they can stand strong and give the wisdom that we need. We pray for our pastors, Lord, especially this morning, that they would have wisdom to know how to minister to, to their people the way you are directing them to do. And we pray for everyone, Father, today for peace of God that passes understanding. And now, Lord, as best I know how, I submit to you my heart and my tongue that you would use me to speak to us. We need to hear from you today. I realize that there are people out there right now watching and listening that are gripped with fear and dealing with fear. We pray, Father, today for the comfort of your Spirit to reach through this media and by the Holy Ghost to do what only He can do to bring comfort to them. We pray for those that are suffering in any way from sickness and disease. Lord, for the healing of your Spirit and of your Word to drive that sickness from their bodies. And we pray, Father, for the Spirit of God to be able to take what you want to say and quicken it to our hearts that your church would rise up in this day and hour and be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I was looking uh, as we got into the beginning of this week to, um, to do a, a message on hope. It just seemed to me that that was an appropriate thing to do. Uh, and then God began to remind me, I'm not here to do what I think is a good idea. I'm here to do what He says to do. And I really felt the Lord tell me to go back to what we've been studying all along. And for the last few weeks, that, that uh, Pastor Michael was here last Sunday and did a great job. But we've been studying who is this God we serve. And, and we're living in a, in a culture and a time when uh, we can have that thought in our mind, well, who is this God? But by and large, we've been able to go about our life, go about our families, go about our work, go about our church life. We've been able to go about these things uh, believing in God, trusting in God, reading our Bible, or maybe not doing those things. And no, we're basically going to be okay because A, there's enough food out there. B, we're all basically healthy. Uh, uh, and yes, you know, uh, we live in a nation where we're, we're safe. And, and so we're basically safe and secure. And yes, I know God's my source. Yes, I know that I need to do certain things. But really down inside, I'm, I'm secure and I'm safe because everything around me provides that security. And what we're finding out is that's not so. We're now in a situation that's beyond our medical people's ability to, to handle. It's beyond our government's ability to handle. And I'm not saying they won't get a handle on it. And as we continue to pray, we believe that they will get a handle on it. But this thing has hit so fast and so suddenly that, that, that it's outside of man's wisdom and man's knowledge to be able to, to take it up and to get control of it. There's a scripture in, Rome, in Hebrews 12 near the end. And I'm not saying this is that time, but it talks about there's going to come a time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what remains is only what's been put there of God. Jesus talks about, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about two men that built their houses. 
Same design, same materials, same contractor. Everything was the same, except one built their house on a rock foundation and the other built their house on sand. And when the storm came, the house that was built on sand collapsed and the house that was built on the rock stood. And Jesus was using that at the end of his message, we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he used that message to tell them this, that it's one thing to hear my words, it's another thing to do my words. Because the man in his parable whose house stood was the one who built his life on God's word, not just reading it, not just paying attention to it, but doing what it said. And the man who built his house on sand was one who heard the word, but he did not build his house. He did not build his life on God's word. And most of you that have been part of Faith Christian Center and other people that may have come here before, we believe in the word. This is a word church. But the question we're discovering now is, what have I built my life on? And, and if this is a shaking, and it is a shaking, God's not angry at us, God's here to help us, but this shaking is to wake us up and find out, what have I been building my lo- into my life all these years? How serious have I been about God and about His Word? Now I say that by way of introduction because I want to see how that the, the study that we've been doing applies to where we are today. This Bible is a living word. It is God speaking to you and to me. God is not a silent God. God is, ha, is involved in our affairs to the extent that we will let Him and He wants to speak into your life right now today. But the primary way God uses is His Word. We have all kinds of people out there that are hearing God said this, and God said that. It's interesting as you look on the internet, it's amazing how God has changed His mind in some cases, because somebody will say, God said to me, this is what it is, and somebody else will say, God said to me, this is what it is, and they're not the same. The primary way that God speaks to His people, the primary way that God directs us and strengthens us, is through His Word. Yes, I believe in prophecy. Yes, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But the primary way is through God's Word. And it's so tempting to listen to people out there because it doesn't require any faith or any work by getting into the Word. It doesn't require any discipline. It's easy to listen to other people. It's more difficult to submit myself to this Word because this Word may speak directly to me about my life, not about what's going on or about somebody else and what they need to be doing. So as that, by way of introduction, I'm going to attempt to get into the message today. We've been talking again about who is this God, and right now is the time to find out who is this God to me? Who is this God to me? And we're going to talk about what He wants to be to you and for you if you'll let Him. So what we've been doing is, we've, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the stories in the Old Testament are not just there to give us a history lesson and to show us some depth to the Bible, but these are written as examples to us. In some cases, they're examples to us to make sure we don't make their mistakes. In some cases, they're examples to us to make sure we do and follow their examples. So the example we've been looking at is God wants to reveal Himself to us. Who is this God? You cannot know what God is like by your intellect, by your own understanding, by your studying philosophy and and, and all the other things. In fact, when I was in college, I wasn't saved. I wasn't a Christian. And I decided when I had to choose a major that I would study philosophy. And I did it because my express purpose was I wanted to see what other men had found out of of how to live their life. And after my whole major studying it out, I came to the conclusion that these men that were so much wiser than I am and so much smarter than I am didn't have an answer. And then I got saved and I got into God's Word and I began to find the answer can only come from God. It's what God reveals of Himself. But God wants to reveal Himself. God is revealing Himself. So to understand some things about who God is, we've gone back and we've looked at God revealing Himself to the people that He formed for Himself. And that's the nation of Israel. Now I'm not going to go back over all the preliminaries and background to this, but we've talked about God coming in Exodus 19. He's brought them out of, out of the bondage of Egypt, a nation where they had over 2,000 gods. These were idols and these were, they worshipped the moon, they worshipped the, the different crops that were grown, they worshipped water, they worshipped anything that would provide for their needs and that would protect them. And they would call whatever that was their God and worship it as if that was the source of their provision. 
So this nation has spent years, now 400 years, in this kind of culture, and now God has brought them out, a generation that's been raised in that culture, and God wants to introduce Himself to them and and communicate to them, He's not like one of their gods. And so He brings them out to the base of a mountain. And in, in, in Exodus chapter 20, God speaks to them from this mountain and gives to them what He wants them to know, which we call the Ten Commandments. In fact, God calls them the Ten Commandments. What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at where God reviews this with them. Because we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now Deuteronomy is a, le- is a book that was written through Moses and it was written about 39 years, about a time that was about 39, 40 years later than the Exodus period. And this is written to the ge- next generation and I'll explain that to you in a few minutes. The, the, ge- the children of the generation that came out. And it's written to remind them of what they've gone through and what God has called them to do. So an essential part of that is God is speaking to them again these commandments. And this is Moses reminding Israel of what God said to them about themselves. So we'll pick up in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Moses called all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I speak to you in your hearing today, that you may learn to do them and carefully to observe them. So notice he said, I'm speaking this to you so that you will learn to hear them and to do them. So hearing them is not enough. That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. And this is what God wants them to know. The Lord our God made a covenant with us. That's more than a contract. That's a commitment together. Uh, with our fathers, but with us, and those who are here today, all of us who are alive. And the Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire, and I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up on the mountain. And here's what God said to them that 40 years earlier. Here's what God was saying to them at this time, and here's what God is saying to you and me now. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. We'll stop there. We've already talked about what this verse says. This verse says, I am the Lord. We talked about the fact that Lord there is the word Yahweh, and it means the self-existent one. God needs nobody. He is dependent on nobody. God just is who He is. He is the source of everything. He's the ultimate authority, the ultimate power. He is the beginning and the end of everything. And he's the one that's speaking to them. And he's saying to them, I, the Lord, Yahweh, the self-existent one, I am your God. I'm not just any God. I belong to you. And then we looked at this word God is in capital letters here because it's this God is the God. But the word God is the word Elohim, which refers to any type of God, including those 2,000 gods that were in Egypt that they, their fathers, forefathers came out of. So God is saying, you know those gods in Egypt, those 2,000 gods. I'm your God and I'm the real God. So what does that mean? Just as those Egyptian gods were believed in by the Egyptians to be the source of all that they need, their provision for food, their provision for clothing, their provision for safety and protection, God was saying, I'm going to be to you that God. I am going to be to you that God. Those are not real gods. I am the true and the living God, and I am your God. I belong to you. Well, He's your God, and you belong to Him, and He belongs to you this morning also. And the question is, is He your God today? Is He your source of protection? Is He your source of provision? Is He your source of, of health? Is he, it, what is He your source of? Now let's look at the next thing He says. The Lord... Uh, uh, here we go, verse 7. You shall have no other gods before Me. This is the foundation everything God does with us. Now what we're going to look at this morning, uh, if, if this is where we end up going, is, is these were given to Israel not so that God could stand 
or sit on a throne, make commandments to them with a big stick and said, if you don't do this, I'm going to beat you. No, God called them out of Israel. God created them just as He did Adam and Eve in the beginning to have a relationship with. He didn't make them because He needed servants. He didn't make you because He needs a servant. He made you. He formed you. He redeemed you so that He could love you and you could love Him. God is above everything a God of relationship because the essence of who God is is love. And this kind of love has to have someone to, on which to bestow that love and from whom to receive back that love. But in order for this love to work, this relationship to work, there have to be certain ground rules by which it works. And these Ten Commandments are God's ground rules as the foundation for this relationship that God wanted to have with Israel and therefore God wants to have with you and me. And God's saying, I am the self-existent one. I created you. I made you. you your every breath you breathe is a gift I gave you. Your existence was created and is sustained by me and by me alone. And I, want to, I demand to be your God. I want to be the one you look to for provision and for protection. Because I know what I can do for you that these other things can't do for you. So let's go on and read what else he has to say about this. So you shall make no other gods before me. Verse 8, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything that's in heaven above or on the earth beneath. Notice the key word in verse 8 is he says, You shall not make for yourself. And that's the essence of idolatry. Idolatry is anything we've made as our God to worship our God as a God. And we talked about several weeks ago, Israel did that uh, in Exodus chapter 32 when, when Moses was on the mountain. They made their own image, a golden calf, and they worshipped that. They didn't worship that as some idol. They thought they, were, they made a calf to worship as the God that brought them out of Egypt. So they were making God into their own image of what they wanted Him to be. And we talked about that several weeks ago. That's as much a form of idolatry as if you have a little statue on your, on your mantelpiece. So, but God loves us. He's working with us. All right. You shall have no other, you shall not make a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or on the earth beneath that's in the water below. Verse 9. You shall not bow to them nor serve them. Now look at this. This is what I wanted to get to. For I, the Lord, that's all uppercase, that's Yahweh, your God, your source, am a jealous God. Stop there. The reason I want to be your God in first is I'm jealous. Now let's talk about jealous for a minute because that we've been raised to believe in many cases that jealous is, a, is, a, is it's wrong to be jealous. But let's talk about what jealous really is. It's like it's, is it's wrong to desire things. No, it's wrong to have the desire things for the wrong purpose. So let's talk about what jealous is. I looked up at one of the definitions of jealous. says to f- fiercely protective of what is one's own. So if someone were to come and try to, 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 uh, uh, to, to woo my wife away from me, I would have a right to be jealous for her because she's my wife, just as she would for me. She's very protective of me. So some woman in church starts saddling up to me, and, and she's going to step right in there because it's my husband. Well, she's my wife. Well, you're God's people. And so God is jealous for us. He's, he's, he's jealous for us. That, that's an amazing incentive to know how much God loves you. You're so important to me, to Him. He's, he's jealous of anything that would come between us because He wants you so much. The intensity of His jealousy shows how important, how much He cares for you and He loves you. In James chapter 4, let me just turn over there quickly. There's another scripture and I, I don't want to, I want to move on and make sure we're, we get this done. James chapter 4. Now, this is James writing to the church. So this is New Testament. And he's talking about why there's conflicts between us. And he said, you know, you, there's wars and, and fighting among you because you're, you're, you, you don't have what you want and you're fighting over it. That's what happens in the war, in the world. They want somebody else's property or somebody else's power. So they fight over it. And he says, and the reason you don't have it is because you ask not. You didn't come to me as your source and ask. And some of you are asking, but you're asking with the wrong motive so it may be spent on your pleasure. And then he says this thing. Notice God doesn't mind us having it. 
It's when we have it as our source of pleasure, as our source of something beyond Him. So verse 3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss with the wrong motives, that you may spend it on your pleasure. It's not that pleasure is wrong, but look at what amazing thing he says here in verse 4. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. It's actually just adulteress in the, in the Greek. And, and how can he call me an adulterer? Let's talk about that in a minute. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Stop there a second. What's he saying there? Well, the, the example that, that Paul uses and others in the New Testament use, and God does in the Old Testament, is he says, Israel, you are married to me. So, and we're losing a sense of this in our culture. But, but, but in a marriage covenant, a marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. I'm not going to go off into that issue. My wife and I made one of these almost 53 years ago. And it is a sacred combining together. And within this covenant relationship, there are, there are things that I can only get from my wife and that she can only get from me. There's a physical union that we have that God has ordained between a man and a woman that have entered into this covenant relationship because a covenant requires a total commitment of yourself no matter what the other person does. And that is the commitment that God has made to us through Jesus Christ. And that's the commitment that He looks for, looks for back from us. So anytime a man or a woman go, seeks that physical satisfaction, which will never be satisfied, or seeks things outside of the covenant of marriage, things that are ordained by God only within the covenant of marriage, it's called adultery. And it's, out, it, it's, it's, it's outside God's protection. And so God brings that concept over to our relationship with Him. That when Israel sought to have their needs met, when they sought pleasure, when they sought the satisfaction that God wanted to provide for them out of His relationship, and they sought that from things that they made, things made of wood, things made of pottery, things made of gold, they were giving themselves to that. They were giving their hearts to that. When you worship something, you're giving your heart over to it. And God's saying, I want your heart. I deserve your heart. I made you for myself. So that's the sense in which he is jealous. And this next verse in, in James said, verse 5, Or do not you think that the Spirit in vain, that the Spirit says in vain, that the, the Scripture says in vain, that the Spirit dwells in us, yearns jealously. So what he's saying here is the Spirit in us is jealous for the relationship to be first. So this is not some law that's been passed down on us that we can't keep. This is not some burden God's mean and trying to control our lives. God knows that the greatest peace and joy you can ever have is an intimate relationship with Him. In fact, if you were walking in that now, none of this stuff that's going on in the world would shake you. The fact that it may be shaking you shows where you are in your relationship with God. Not God's relationship with you, your relationship with God. And this is a wake-up call for us to realize nothing else I've trusted in out there is working. I've got to turn to the one who loves me more than anybody loves me. The one who only is able to heal me, save me, and take care of me. And I want to turn to Him with all my heart. And you'll find that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you, doing exactly what I've just read, awakening, saying, well, you come to me, turn to me. And the moment you do, He'll begin to bring you that peace and that comfort. This is a word for today. I this was scheduled a long time ago, and this is God's word for you and me, for the church today. The world can't give you that peace. The, 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 your bank account, the government, the government relief fund cannot give you this peace. Only your God and your Father. However, let's begin to look uh, in Deuteronomy 6. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 6. Let's look at some of the things God wanted to do for them. Let's go to verse 4. Hear, O Israel... The Lord, your God, notice how often he calls himself the Lord, Yahweh, is your God, is one. Because in Egypt, there were thousands of them. There's one God. 
Verse 5. And this is what God wants of us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is what God wants from us. There's another scripture in Deuteronomy here. God says, all I want from you, all I want from you is to love me with all your heart the way I love you. I've loved you with all my heart. All I want you to, is to love me with all your heart and just do what I say to do. It's that simple. The walk of a child of God is not hard. It's not complicated. Jesus said, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's saying, just love me. That's all I'm asking for you to do. And that's what these commandments are intended to do. And then Jesus says the second thing is to love one another as yourself. We'll talk about that a little later on. Maybe not today. So that's all. In verse 6 it says, And these, these are the words that I'm commanding you today, and they shall be in your heart. Let's go over to chapter 7. There's a whole lot more, but we don't have the time to do that. Let's look at um, um, chapter, six, chapter 7, verse 6. God says this to them, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. Now our idea of holiness is we never make a mistake, we're pure. The word holy means set apart. You've been set apart from everybody else for me, is what God's saying to them. You are my people. You have been set apart for me. And I love you like I love no one else. And I'm just asking you to love me back like you love no one else or nothing else because you are holy people. You've been set apart just for me because I want you that much. See what else he says. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people from Himself. John 15, Jesus says to His disciples and to you, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You've been, if you are in Christ today, He chose you. You didn't choose Him. So He wants you. He loves you. He wants you to be His above everyone else and everything else. He's chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the people in the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love upon you or did not choose you because you were more in number than anyone else, for you were the least of all the people. So the Lord didn't choose us because we're the greatest, the strongest. He didn't choose. In fact, in many cases, the Christians are the weakest people. But because the Lord loves you and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord's brought you out by mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now in the New Testament, the equivalent of that is 1 Peter 2, where Jesus, Peter says that you are a, a, you are a holy, people, holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. Can you put that up there? Because I didn't turn to it. 1 Peter 2. Well, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a holy people, that God has called you out into His marvelous light. All right, I guess they don't have it up there. So we are people chosen by God to be special, to be His people. And this is what I want to get to the heart of. It's a relationship. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever's trying to come at you and get you afraid through all the news media, the, the, the only way to really overcome fear is in your relationship with God to realize how much He loves you today. He loves you today. John says in 1 John that perfected love, matured love, casts out all fear. Casts out all fear. Well, let's go to Exodus 23. We're going back 39 years and see what... Uh, I want to show this scripture to you. This is what God's promise is to them, if they will do this. Exodus 23. We're going to start in verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you. That's a messenger. So one of the things that we've talked about that a God does is a God provides protection, a God provides for you, and a God provides guidance through difficult times. Now this is a nation that was out in a wilderness. There was no Walmart. There's nothing but a hot, searing sun in the daytime and cold wind in the nighttime. And God's saying, I will take care of you and I will guide you. Now watch what He's promised to do. I will send an angel before you to keep you in the way, to bring you into the place that I have prepared. And God has prepared a place for the church today. And God has an angel to go before us, but in this case it's not a physical, it's the Holy Spirit. And God will use men and women in our lives that the Holy Spirit will use to provide that direction. We'll talk about that another time. 
to keep you on your way, to bring you into the place that I prepared you. Verse 21. Beware of him. In other words, pay attention to him. Obey his voice and do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, but my name is in him. So listen to him. Pay attention to him. But indeed, if you will obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversary. In other words, I will protect you if you will listen to his voice, if you will do what he says to do. For my angel will go for you and bring you into the, the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I will cut them off. This is the promised land God gave to Israel, and it was filled with enemies. And God said, don't worry about the enemies. I will go before you and I will drive them out. I will take care of your enemies. If you will do what I say and listen to my voice because I am God to you. Now look what else he goes on to say. You shall not, verse 24, you shall not bow down to their gods, the gods of the world, nor serve them, do, do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their pillars. Verse 25, so you shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water. Stop there a second. We as Christians are used to blessing our bread. But this says if you will do His will, if you will serve Him, if you will do His will and you will put Him first, He will bless your bread and water. And look at this next promise. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. I will take sickness away from the midst of you. If we've ever needed a promise from God we could stand on, it's today to take sickness away from the midst of you. Now over in Deuteronomy 7, the chapter we were reading a few minutes ago, he goes on and 40 years later he, he renews this same promise and commitment to them, but again it's tied to serving Him. It's tied to, uh, to, to following Him. It's tied to obeying Him. So what he has in this, in this section here in, in Exodus 20, he has guidance for them. He will lead us for the place he's prepared for us. He will protect us from our enemies. In those days, their enemies were armies, the Hittites, the Jebusites. In our day, our enemies is a little thing you can't even see called a virus. But it's a more dangerous enemy because you can't see it. But God has promised to protect us from that enemy. And he will bring healing and long life. Deuteronomy, go back, we're moving all over. Deuteronomy 8, another promise that God has for those in this covenant that He's made with us. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power or might or strength to get wealth. God is our source and we'll talk about more in a second, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers in this day and land. So part of this relationship with God as our God is He wants to protect us, He wants to provide for us, He wants to guide us, and He wants to be the source of our provision. So with all the threats that are out there through our jobs, loss of jobs and all these things and whether the government can do all this and whether there's enough testing out there, there is your God, the self-existent one, the almighty God who said, I want to be your God, the one that provides these things for you if you will let me so that I can protect you, provide for you and I can provide health to protect your body so that you can complete what I put you here to do. And that develops an intimate relationship like no other thing else can. Like no other thing else can. Let's go quickly over to Matthew chapter 6 because I want to see Jesus says the same thing to them over in Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is, is, is uh, part of the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And just as, as God was telling uh, Egypt, uh, Israel, when they came out of Egypt, he wanted to tell them what he wanted them to know as they began their journey together. Now Jesus is beginning his public ministry. God has now come to the earth, taken on flesh to dwell among us. He's beginning his public ministry. And now Jesus, in these first few things that he says, he's, he's revealing to the people that were following him what God, what he wants them to know about the kingdom of God. So it's kind of been called by some, this is the, the constitution of the kingdom of God. 
So we're going we're gonna to look at a section of this scripture. There's many other things we could look at, but we're talking about God's provision. Over in Matthew chapter 6, let's look at this, starting in verse 25. We could go back, back earlier. Um, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Oh my goodness, what a time to say that today. God's saying, do not worry about your life. Now, now wait a minute, God. Don't you understand what this coronavirus can do? Don't you read the headlines, God? Don't you understand? I mean, can't you see what's going on? I mean, I don't know how many more people are going to get it today and going to die. Don't you see what's going on, God? And God's saying, so either God has no idea what He's doing, or God's lying to us, or He's telling us to do something we can't do. God's saying, do not worry about your life. More than any other commandment in the Bible, there's the commandment to not fear. God could not tell us to do something if we couldn't do it unless He were lying or He was unfair. And God neither lies, He can't lie, and He certainly is not fair, unfair. So we can do this. And we'll talk about that in just a second. He said, Take no thought for your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you're going to put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. That's either true or it's not true. We're going to find out now, what do we really believe? And if we don't believe this, then what we've got to do is begin to put the Word in, and put all the other stuff out, so that we can come to the place where we really do believe this. Because this Word is the truth, and it works, but it only works if I put it in my heart, and I begin to act on it. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? Actually, you can take it away. I was listening to someone last night, and they were saying that they were saying there's a there's some Christian neurologists that have been writing books. There's a favorite one called Carolyn Leach out there, and she has written articles. In fact, a book that says what happens when we worry. It literally changes the chemistry in your brain. It changes the chemistry in your brain, and it begins to break down your immune system. So there's a lot of things people are talking about. Eat this and eat this to bring up your, build up your immune system. That's absolutely right. But you can build it up all you want, but worry will tear it down. On the other hand, she said that they've done studies of the brain that as people begin to praise God and worship God and rejoice, as they begin to become thankful, it changes the chemical functions in the brain and begins to release laughter, begins to release enzymes into your body that begin to strengthen it and drive out sickness and disease. So when the Bible says things like renew your mind, it's not just a mental exercise. God knows what He's talking about. They've done studies, and I don't have time to get into some of these by secular people that show the power of your words, that literally words will change the crystal formations in ice, that if, if it will do that, it will literally change the, the, the cell structure in your body. It can destroy the cell structure of coronavirus because God's Word coming out of your mouth has all the authority and power of God's Word. And we'll talk more about this as we get further on, not today, but as we get further on to some of the things that we're doing. So when God says, don't worry, don't be anxious, that's not just some vain concept. He's saying, look, He's not saying, cheer up. He's giving us instructions that will get us through this. Victorious. All right. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm preaching myself happy here. All right. So what do we do? What do we do? Verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. That's the world. The world has no covenant with God. They're worried about these things today. They don't know what to do about these things because they don't have a relationship with the living God that you and I, God wants to, but they don't have it yet. But we're not supposed to be like them. We're not supposed to be running around panic just like the world. If we have, then the world's things have become our gods. And that's why we're afraid today. After all these things the Gentiles seek. But for your heavenly Father knows you need these things. He knows what you need. But here's His instructions. Go stock up and hoard everything you can find so that when everybody else runs out, you'll have enough. No, that's not what He says to do. He's seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. 
I've been, we've been through these times before. Y2K when people panicked, the world's coming to end, and people were filling their basements up, Christmas, Christians, with grocery stores, because what are we going to do when the, when the store runs out? And my question is, what are you going to do when those run out? Because if you put your faith and trust in what you've got in your basement, then what are you going to do when that runs out? Because there won't be any more, if that's what you put your... But if you've learned to put your faith and trust in God, God never runs out. God has fed a prophet out in the wilderness with a raven bringing food to him from his mouth. God dropped food down of heaven. God can get what you need to you, but you've got to develop a trust in him that's above the cares and concerns of this world. And if you haven't done it before, now's the time to begin. It's not too late. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I want to close today with what so many people are turning to right now for comfort and security. And it's, it's true, it's the, it's the 91st Psalm. And we're going to go quickly through this. Now the thing that God requires of us is God requires not only that we love Him, but He requires that we obey Him. Because I've learned this principle over this last year. You cannot separate faith and obedience you can't have faith in God and not choose to obey Him because they're two sides of the same coin. It's like saying, I want to go jump in the swimming pool, but I don't want to get wet. I want to swim today and do my laps, but I don't want to get wet. If you get in the pool, you'll get wet because you get wet with the water. And the Bible's full of, of principles that teach this. And, and James says, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Jesus said, if you just hear the word and don't do it, you're the man that built his house on the sand and it won't stand the pressures of the storm. But if you hear the word and you do it, you'll have built your house on the rock. He, Jesus told his disciples at the very end, his disciples, he said, if you hear this word, blessed are you if you do it. I'm going to, this, well, I'm going to do two things. I'll end with a story and then I'll read, go, through, go through the 91st Psalm. One of the stories Jesus has been impressing on me over the last weeks is this. There are several places where the disciples, Jesus told them to go to the other side. He didn't say try. He didn't say get in the boat and I hope you make it. He said go to the other side. In one case he was asleep in the back of the boat and a storm came up and they panicked and were afraid, had to wake him up and they said don't you care and Jesus went and just sped be still and the storm ceased because Jesus was asleep because he said let's go to the other side and whether he was awake or not they were going to get to the other side because he said it well the one I want to mention to you and we don't have time to, to bring this out and develop this is, is in Matthew I think it's 21 where they're in a storm Jesus has said go to the other side of the lake he goes up on the mountain to pray and when they're about halfway out there a terrible storm comes up and they're panicked now these are fishermen on their lake and they're scared and it gets worse because they look up and here's Jesus walking on the water to them if you think a storm's scary, imagine seeing a man walking on the water and in their own natural interpretation they think it must be a ghost. So they're now even more afraid. Not only it looks like they're going to sink, but there's a ghost coming and they cry out and Jesus speaks to them in his still calm voice and he says, be of good courage. Now I looked that up. What is that really saying in, in, the, in, the, in the Greek? He's saying this, be boldly courageous. He's not saying, it's okay guys. He's saying, be boldly courageous. Then he says, it is I. And then he says, be not afraid. So Peter pipes up and says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And Jesus says one word, come. Now Peter's got a choice to make. He can look at Jesus, he can look at the water, he can hear the word come and say, well, that assures me, that gives me assurance, but this boat is my safe place. I'm used to this boat, I know this boat, this could even have been his boat that he fished with, and although it looked like they were going to sink, he, they were going to hang on to this boat. But Jesus commanded him to do something else, to do the thing that made no sense at all. It was crazy. It was against every rational thing you could do, but Jesus said it. He said, come. And at some point, Peter had to decide to climb over the side of that boat and to step out on that word, come. 
And because Peter did that, he walked on the water. Actually, he walked on the authority of Jesus' word, come. And while he's walking on that word, come, listen carefully, Peter is far safer out on that water than the 11 other ones were in the boat because their trust was in that boat to save them and to protect them. That's what their God was at that time. Peter's trust was in the words of Jesus and he stepped out on that word and Jesus' word held him up. Now unfortunately we know that's not the end of the story. Peter began to take his eyes off of the word and look, began to look at the circumstances around him but look at the, and began to sink. Look at the amazing grace. He cries out to Jesus when his faith failed and Jesus out of mercy reaches down and picks him up and brings him back into the boat. I believe that's a word for us today. It's God's word sown in your heart that then you begin to act on. And it may be the very opposite of what makes sense. But you're either going to trust God in this time as your God, as your protector, as the one who provides for you, or you're going to trust the things of this world and then your fortunes are going to rise and fall with what this world can do. But God needs you and me right now. He needs us. I understand what that's like. I, I made a mistake again yesterday of spending too much time on the internet listening to things. And I found fear begin to try to get in my heart last night. And I had to repent and just begin to look at things and read things that would build my faith back up. I got up this morning and realized I got to come here and bring a word of God to you. And I felt that start to come in again. But I started to speak God's word over me. And faith began to rise in my heart again. I understand what that's like. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it, flow the issues of life faith or fear victory or failure and we choose and God needs you and me right now to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might not your might God needs the church to be strong now because there's so many people out there this is harvest time right now this is what Terry Henshaw has seen this is what others have seen this is what God wants to show the church this is harvest time people are going to be open like they've never been open before because things they built their trust in are not going to stand today they're not going to look like they can trust them and they're going to want to go somewhere for answers. And Jesus is the answer. We're not going to have time to go through Psalm 91. I want you to go through it on your own. But it talks about there's some amazing promises in there. I had promises in there that no plague shall come. Well, I'm going to read down through it quickly. I'm going to read down through it. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my for fortress, my God in whom I trust. There's, there's four names of God in there. Notice this is not to anybody that just happens to be watching television. He who abides in the secret place of the Most High. Secret place means it's not out there for everybody to see. It's in here. It's in the Word. He who abides in it, stays in it, maintains their, their, their fellowship with Him. In the secret place of the Almighty, that's the God, El Shaddai, the God can provide everything. Of the Most High, that's El Elyon, that's the highest authority, shall abide under the shadow of protection of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, that's Yahweh, the self-existent one, He is my Refuge, my fortress, my God, the one we've been talking about this morning, in Him will I trust. And notice, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. From the day, that word pestilence means a dangerous pestilence. That's what's out there now. He shall cover you with His feathers. That's the image of protection. Under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth, His word, shall be your shield and buckler. A shield is a large shield that protects the onslaught of the enemy. The buckler is a small shield that had to do with hand-to-hand -hand combat. His word is your shield. It's your protection. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, nor look at this, of the pestilence, the plague that walks in darkness. You can't see this. Nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. So don't look at the statistics of who's got it or who doesn't have it. What does God say to you? What God's going to do for you has nothing to do with the results that other people have. Our faith is not in what other people's experiences. It's in God's Word. 
It shall not come near you. Only with your eyes will you see in reward of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your God, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread on the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him and I will satisfy him with long life. But the condition is, this is for he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. What are you dwelling in this morning? What's your trust been in up until now? You can tell very easily because if you're shaken, and I understand we have to deal with fear. I still have to deal with it from time to time. But I know where to go. I know where to go if I've slipped and let it in. I understand where to go. I just don't run off with everyone in panic. Who, what, what has been your God? What have you pushed your trust in? Well, I want to encourage you today that the true and the living God, the only God, the God who called you by your name, just as He called Israel, the God who's redeemed you with His Son's life, just as He redeemed Israel, the God who knows you by your name, this God has promised that He will never leave you or forsake you. This God has promised if you will let Him be your God, if you will put your trust in Him starting today, He will come through for you and He will begin to show Himself strong in your life. I want to end with this. Maybe you're watching this morning and you say, this all sounds great, Pastor John, but I've been raised a Catholic or a Methodist or a Protestant or maybe I haven't been raised in church at all and I I don't even know if I believe in God. I, I don't know what to go. You're here this morning. You're hearing this because whether you know God or all, He knows you. He knows you and He's brought you to this very moment because He wants to come into your life and come into your, into your soul with His peace and with His joy. He wants to come into a relationship with you, a relationship with you that will bring you a peace that passes all understanding and that you know that whatever happens to you, even if you don't succeed, even if you do die, and we'll all die someday, that you will have a peace to know you will be immediately in His presence, the one who loves you beyond what you can begin to imagine. If you don't know that for a certainty, I want you to know that today. God wants you to know that today. And that certainty comes by inviting Jesus Christ into your life. So if that's you, I want to ask you right now, I want to encourage you. I want to...